following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We all, uh, you know, we, well, let me say first of all, if you're Chinese, Happy New Year. If you're American or Thai, apparently, Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> or just in love, I guess, I don't know. Um, you know, we all are broken vessels and cracked pots. Cracked pots. And this morning I come a bit more broken than normal. Uh, my voice is a bit warbly because I have a cold. I got it this morning. And uh, my one eye is freaking out. It's turning like about the color of uh, Pam's shirt back there, bright red. And it really hurt, and I couldn't read. And I thought, man, I don't know if I can do this this morning. So I pray, God, if you want me to do this, help me be able to see. So, you know, thanks, Grace, for leading worship this morning. Debbie. <laughs> I can see. I can see. <laughs> yeah. I just have no sense of humor. I can still see I just have no sense of humor. <laughs> All right. Well, we're uh, looking in Ephesians chapter 6, coming really to the conclusion of uh, the book of Ephesians as um, Paul wraps things up. And let me read together this last section, beginning at verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me, too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I would keep on speaking boldly for Him as I should. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we do come to you this morning just uh, so thankful for your mighty power that you have made available for us. Lord, we want to uh, every day live by your strength and not our own. And to honor you uh, by seeing your power at work in our life, not our power at work for you. So we just pray that you teach us, uh, help us be aware of the reality of the war that we're in. 
not to scare us, but to help us be prepared. And Lord, we just commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> okay. We are at war. Uh, and from really the beginning of creation, the world is in the midst of a huge spiritual conflict. And uh, we see that played out at the very beginning in the garden. Uh, God creates everything good. He sets Adam and Eve in a place filled with perfection. And yet, immediately, uh, on the scene, there is evil, uh, seeking to destroy and to turn aside all that God's made. And from that day onward, the world has been in the midst of a great and huge spiritual conflict. Uh, Jesus came uh, to really fight that battle and through the cross to bring uh, an end and completion to that battle. Uh, but it's, it's not over yet. And we have uh, been called by God into His power and His strength. But the reality is, Paul says here, we are still fighting a spiritual war. We are still in the midst of battle. And uh, a huge and vast army is assembled against us. And Paul paints this picture here of this very dark uh, horde of evil that is poised against his church and God's people. Uh, thankfully, it's not an army we could see. Uh, I think we would all be terrified if we could see uh, the wicked that is assembled against us and how desperately this army wants to destroy us. Uh, but Paul warns us of it, and in this passage he shares with us to be aware and, and prepared, not to freak us out, but to help us be ready. Uh, the interesting thing about this warfare and this battle is that every person, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, is caught in the middle of it. Okay? This is not a battle that you get to you know, flee to some neutral country and not fight. Okay? And the reason is because the battle is not for uh, a land where we live. The battle is not for freedom that we hope to live in. The battle is actually for our soul. Okay, when two countries go to war, they're usually fighting over some prize, some piece of land or some rights or some territory. Uh, in this battle, you and I are the prize. Okay, the two forces that are at battle are battling for your soul and my soul. And so like it or not, we are in the midst of it. And young or old, Christian, non-Christian, mature, immature, we all are in the middle of the battle. And the enemy is real, and he's seeking, as it says, uh, whom he would devour. Victims that he would devour. And so, uh, one of the most dangerous things for us is to, is to live in the illusion that we're not fighting. Okay? In the Christian life, there's no such thing as a pacifist. Okay? Now, now, you may be a pacifist in political wars, but in the spiritual war, there's no such thing. Okay? There's either people who are standing up in the battle or people who have been flattened by it. Okay? So a pacifist is somebody who just got flattened. That's all you are. You're just flattened by the battle. Worst thing that can happen in any, in any war is is to be caught by surprise. In fact, in, in military operations, one of the one of the goals is you know the element of surprise to sneak up on your enemy unsuspecting when they are not prepared. And Paul doesn't want us as believers to be caught that way. He wants us to be prepared for the battle that that we are in the midst of, so we are not caught unprepared or unsuspecting. Um, and these final words are uh, 
some may seem maybe a little bit disconnected if you've been reading through it and you're in this flow, you know, be submissive, love people, love God. All of a sudden he ends with this uh, seemingly out of place word. Oh, by the way, you know, you're facing this huge enemy and you're about to get you know, wiped out if you're not prepared. Actually, this, this passage connects uh, in very detailed ways with the whole book. And unfortunately, we don't have time to really go through in detail all the links this makes to references throughout the book of Ephesians. But it's a fascinating study. There's over 20 different words in this short section that are repeated throughout the book of Ephesians. Uh, this, this, this conclusion really pulls together and ties together everything that he's been talking about throughout the whole letter. And we'll see that a little bit as we go. Uh, we're going to break this into, up into sections. We're not going to cover the whole thing this morning. This morning we're just going to look at the battle itself. Uh, a short picture of this warfare that we are in. What does it look like and how do we be prepared? Uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's look at verse 10 to start. He says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong. Uh, he's, not, he's not making us aware of this to freak us out or scare us. He's not saying, you know, the enemy's coming, so go hide under your bed. Go, you know, shake in your closet. That's what he says. He says, you need to beef up, be prepared, get strong. All right, it's a command. It's, if you're uh, into Greek, it's a present passive imperative. Okay, there you go. Which means, uh, the present tense means this is a daily activity. Okay, it's not a one-time thing. It's something we must continually do to be strengthened in the Lord. To be made strong in His power. Uh, it's also an imperative, which is a command, but it's a passive. And this is the same as we saw in chapter 5 when he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command of something that we're supposed to have done to us. Okay, it's not a command to do something. We're not to make ourselves strong, but we're to get strong from somewhere else. And the strength comes from God. We're to be made strong with His strength. Okay? He's not asking us or commanding us or calling us to get strong in ourselves. Uh, he's not saying, go out there and you know, memorize a lot more scripture and pray a lot more so that you can prove how tough you are. He's saying instead, no, you're, you're, you're not tough. You're weak. And you, have, you are no match for this enemy. So you better be strengthened with the strength and the power that comes from outside of you. Uh, so, you know, he's not, to, to be made strong is kind of like saying, you know, I want you to go out there and take up your wings and fly. All right? Now, if you're smart, you know you don't have wings. Okay, you're not going to jump out the window and fly thinking, oh, I can do this, right? right? Uh, obviously, the wings have to come from somewhere else. So if I said, take up your wings and fly, a smart person would go buy a plane ticket and let the you know, 747 carry them, right? And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. Take up your wings and fly. You don't have wings, but God does. And He wants to equip you with His strength and His power. Um, how do we do this? How do we come, become and be made strong in the Lord? Well, I think the first step in this is realizing uh, the truth that Paul has been speaking through the whole book, that we are weak. Okay? We cannot do this in and of ourselves. Okay? We face uh, a death that we can't overcome. We, apart from Christ, are filled with sin that we can't conquer. And we face an enemy and Satan and evil that wants to just completely wipe us out and destroy us. The first and most critical thing any believer can do in their life is come to a point of realizing how truly weak they are in and of themselves. 
You can't do this on your own. Okay, when I was in high school, let me give you a, a fun example. When I was in high school, I, I was over six foot tall and weighed 145 pounds. Okay, I was a, I was a beanpole. Okay, I was just as skinny and, and weak. I was a weakling, okay? I didn't want to admit it, but I was just, you know, all height and no width. Had to run around the shower to get wet. You know, all those jokes applied to me. Uh, sadly, I, I loved the game of American football. And I had dreams of someday playing football, you know. And I went to a big school where the little guys on the foot the little guys on the football team outweighed me by fifty pounds, you know. And then there were the big guys, you know. And I thought, you know, if I play football, I'm gonna become a permanent part of the field. I'm just gonna be one of the lines on the field, you know. And I thought I've got two options here. Option number one is to bulk up. So I tried that. I lifted weights, I took all the powders, I had potions and ate all the raw eggs I could, and I pumped iron, you know, and uh, sadly it didn't work so well for me, because I like went from 146 pounds down to 144 pounds, you know, of brute steel, you know, and you know, after a while I gave up on that and decided, okay, cross country's for me. Okay. The other bad thing is I knew I was slow. See, it's, you can be light if you're fast, because then they can't catch you. I was not fast. All right, so I thought, okay, the other option is don't play the game. Okay, you just don't play the game. Watch from the sidelines, right? And so that's what I did. Unfortunately, in the spiritual game, not playing is not an option. Okay? Uh, we got to realize that we are weak and we are no match for our enemy. Okay, there are these huge, powerful, extremely smart beings, extremely wicked and evil, whose mission in life is to take us out. They don't just want to conquer us. They want to destroy us. All right? And we absolutely do not in ourselves have the strength to face these enemies on our own. All right? So our option is two things. You know, we either get out of the game, which is not actually an option. Okay? Uh, you're stuck. If you go to the sidelines, for the, in this game, there is no boundaries. You go to the sideline, they just chase you there. You go to the locker room, they chase you there. You hide in the locker. Boom. You know, the big guys, they find you. And there's no escaping this game. So the, other, the only other option is to bulk up, okay? Beef up. The problem is we can't do it in our own strength. So we have to do it, he says, in God's mighty power. He says you need to be strengthened with God's mighty power. The good news is that in this battle, uh, it's not about our ability or our strength. It's really appropriating God's mighty power. And uh, Paul mentioned this all the way back in chapter 1, verse 19, where he says... I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's mighty power. Same exact phrase. Uh, for those who believe in Him. Th this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead uh, and seated Him in a place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now He is far above every rule and authority or power. Okay? Later on, he uses, Paul uses these same descriptions again in chapter 6 to talk about the spiritual authorities' powers of evil. He says, look, God's mighty power is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It is an all-sufficient uh, power that can overcome this evil enemy. Uh, Jesus fell into the hands of his enemies. He fell into the hands of man, but more importantly, fell into the hands of this evil army. And they killed him, and the forces of evil and Satan thought they had won because they thought they had destroyed Jesus. They thought they had beat him when they put him in the grave. But we all know that wasn't the end, right? There was a greater power. 
And God, by the greater power of his might, raised Jesus back to life and set him not just above the kingdoms of this rule, but above the kingdoms of all kingdoms, above every power, rule, and authority over all the evil minions that have domain. So that now everything is under Jesus Christ's power and authority. And so that power has won victory. Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection, has claimed authority over all these evil uh, armies. And, and Jesus, and Paul says now, that's the power you've got to get a hold of. Okay? And it's available for us because it's a command. Uh, God's, God's telling us. It's, it's there. Okay? You've just got to grab hold of it. You have to appropriate that power and uh, apply it to your life. Um, one of the nice things about you know, this power is it's a lot more, in some ways, like modern warfare. Okay, maybe on the football field I didn't stand a chance because my size, you know, it comes down to my body against their body. But in spiritual warfare, we have the advantage of, uh, of weapons that are much greater than us. And I'm kind of reminded in the, if, in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark where Harrison Ford is uh, fighting this guy. And it's this big, humongous, like, seven-foot-tall Arab guy with black robe. And, and uh, you know, where Harrison Ford gets out his whip like he's going to whip this guy. And this guy pulls out just this enormous sword, just flashes it all around, you know, and he's going to, like, no match for his little whip. And uh, Harrison Ford gets this kind of despondent look on his face, and then he kind of shrugs his shoulders, pulls out his gun, and just shoots the guy. Okay? Well, you know, it's not about how strong you are, it's how powerful your weapons are, right? And the good news is, we don't have to take on the guy with the sword, you know, in our strength. We just need a bigger weapon. Right? And God is saying, you know, be strong, put on the armor of God. He has made available for us his armor, his weapons, his gear uh, that is no match for Satan. So he says, be strong in his mighty strength. In verse 11 he says, put on uh, the full armor of God, the battle gear that God has supplied. God has provided for us weapons that have power an effectiveness against evil far beyond anything we can imagine. Okay? Uh, we may be no match for Satan, but Satan is no match for the weapons and power of God. Right? And so God has given this to us, this armor, and we have the privilege of putting on this armor. Uh, next week, Mike is going to share more specifically about what the armor is and how we use it in this combat. Let me just say, by way of introduction, that the, the armor comes from a picture of Isaiah chapter 11, where it describes actually the armor that God wears. Okay, the armor that, that we put on is actually God's armor itself. And so what we're putting on is, is God himself and his power. Right? And that's what he calls us to. Um, the question for us today is how do we put it on? Uh, how do we appropriate this strength for our life? Okay, if we're going to stand against this enemy, we've got to put on this, this armor, this full protection of God. How do we do that? Um, I think the first step, as I said, is to acknowledge our weakness. Step number one is to realize that we can't do this on our own and that we desperately need His help and strength. Uh, secondly, uh, as it says in, in Ephesians 3.16, that we're, we're strengthened through His Spirit in the inner man, then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust Him. Your roots will go down into God's love and will will establish you in Him. 
Okay, that's being strengthened in Christ. That's how we put on His power. We put on His power when the, when the empowering of the Holy Spirit comes into our life. And through His ministry in us, He makes us strong as we, as we become firmly established in God's love. And as Christ's love, they would become strong. Okay, so as, as Paul shared throughout this letter, it's a matter of us appropriating through our relationship with Christ and through fellowship and communion with Him, His life in us. Okay, as the Holy Spirit has influence in our life and we allow Him to have influence in us and empower us, that we, be, that we grow in His strength. So daily, we must walk in communion and fellowship with Christ, uh, leaning on Him and trusting in His power and strength. All right, so that's, uh, you know, that's the battle, that's the war that uh, we've been called to. Uh, Paul goes on from then and he talks about our mission objective. Okay, what is, what is it we're supposed to do? Okay, we're supposed to be strengthened, he says. We're supposed to put on this armor. Uh, we're supposed to be prepared by being strong to face this enemy. But when he comes, what are we supposed to do? Well, he says simply this. He says, uh, put on this armor uh, so that you will be able to stand firm against all the schemes and strategies of the devil. Okay, he says you're supposed to just stand. Now, for, for us, in kind of our modern context of warfare, this sounds a little, uh, well, it seems kind of lame. It's like, you know, we've been armed with like a you know, nuclear warhead. Can't we just take the guy out? Why do we just have to stand here and let him shoot at us, right? Well, of course, they had no idea in, in Roman times. For them, warfare was much more face-to-face, hand-to-hand. And uh, they didn't really possess long-distance, long-range weapons. All right, so the way combat would work for them is they would get a battalion of soldiers, a big, long group of guys, and they would have these huge, massive shields, about four or five foot tall, two and a half foot wide, easily big enough to protect your whole body. And then these guys would get shoulder to shoulder to shoulder, and they would interlock these shields so they would become a human wall. All right? And... Uh, you know, there's enough of these guys, you're pretty invincible. And the enemy could come against you, uh, these shields were tough, they could shoot arrows, they could, they could throw spears. You're pretty much just a, a wall that wasn't going anywhere, right? Um, and that, that's the picture here. An enemy, I mean, a, a, a stance or a position that's able to hold its ground. Um, and to really get a picture of, of this, we have to understand what he's talked about in the book of Ephesians. All through the book of Ephesians, uh, and we haven't talked about this passage by passage, but throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul has painted two separate realities coexisting. One reality is the reality of the, uh, of the things that God has already accomplished and fulfilled. Okay, the already things that God has accomplished. We have already been called by God and appointed and made by Him as His children. He says in chapter 1. We are His children, okay? And there's nothing that can change that. We have been adopted by Him as sons and are heirs of His kingdom. Okay, that's something that's already true of us. Uh, he talks about us being made holy and blameless. Okay, and that is, a, that is an existing reality that's already true of us. We all stand before God already holy and blameless. Okay, there's nothing we can do to change our standing before God. Uh, we go out this afternoon, we sin... Okay? It doesn't change our position and standing before God as holy and blameless. Someday we will go to heaven and we will stand before God made holy and blameless by the work of Christ on the cross. 
as a present, already accomplished reality. God has already, through Christ, purchased our freedom and forgiveness of sins. All, past, present, and future, have been completely forgiven and wiped out through the blood of Christ on the cross. Uh, God is working out His perfect plan in us, and we are already recipients of a glorious inherit- glorious inheritance. You don't know this, but all the wealth of the universe is yours. Okay, You may think you're almost out of money, but it's just not true. You already have possessed the full wealth of the universe is right there at your disposal. Okay, Those are present realities that Jesus has already accomplished for us. Uh, we have already been made one with Christ. And we have already been fully reconciled one to another. He talks about the reconciling of Jews and Gentiles being made into one new man in Christ. Okay, on the one hand, those are things that God has already done through Christ, fully accomplished fully uh, realized at one level in, 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 in the realm of heaven. But then there's the other realm that, the, that we all actually live in, right? Where that may be true, but we all recognize we don't experience quite the fullness of that every day. You know, we may be holy and blameless before God, but before our spouse, we've got problems, right? And we're not holy and blameless before them. Uh, before our kids, you know, we're not holy and blameless kids before their parents. You know, we, we live in a world where we have not yet realized in our life the full and complete uh, carrying out of that victory, of that work of Christ. So both things are true. There's a sense in which it's already done, but there's also a sense in which it's not yet fully realized in our day-to-day existence. Um, so what does this have all to do with our spiritual battle? Well, what it has to do with this, it, what this means is that our enemy has been defeated, but not destroyed. Okay, When Jesus died on the cross, he completely defeated Satan. All right, it says that Jesus says when he sent out his disciples and they preached the gospel and preached the kingdom, he says, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. Because Jesus came and he proclaimed the word, he proclaimed truth as he died on the cross, as he fulfilled God's mission, he completely defeated Satan and his army. And it says that he rose, he was uh, seated at the place of honor on high where he reigns and rules and has authority over all these evil powers of darkness. Right? And in our own life, through grace and through the working of God, he has brought us into the kingdom of light. And as, as it were, you know, he has conquered our lives, he's conquered our souls and our hearts for him. So that is ground in the battle in, in, in a military picture. Okay, that is ground that he has already conquered and won. All right? He has put his banner and his flag on our life and our heart, and the battleground has been fought and won. And we now stand, if, if you use the picture of a battle, we stand on a conquered hill. Okay, Jesus fought the battle, he pushed the enemy back, and he's now planted us on this hill, and he says, okay, I want you to stand and just don't lose ground. Okay? Now, we can't actually gain more ground because Christ has gained it all. Okay? We're not called to go out and beat Satan because he's already been defeated. Okay? We're not called to go out and do more than what Christ has already done because we can't. Okay? Christ is the one who has completed uh, his, his battle against Satan. And in that sense, the battle is done and it's over and the victory is won. And we're standing on our little hill. We've got our little flag there with Jesus, the banner of our life. We've got our little shield. And we're shoulder to shoulder in the body of Christ. And we have won. 
Yay, hallelujah, praise God. We are on conquered land. But just across, you know, the fence, there is a huge horde that wants to gain it back. Okay? Satan and all his minions and all his forces and all of his demons, they don't like that they've gotten kicked off this ground called my heart and my life. And they are waiting to find one little crack. They're waiting for us to take a nap, you know, to lay down, put our shield down, kick our feet back so that they can charge in and retake what they have lost. All right? And so Paul says our mission is just to stand. It's just to stand there and resist Satan and his hordes who want to regain and reclaim what God has done. Uh, that's our mission objective, to stand. Uh, as Satan comes against us with his attacks, to stand firm and strong, unmoving in the work that God has accomplished in our life. Uh, we stand firm. Uh, well, what exactly is, to get the full, bigger picture of that, uh, what is this ground that Christ has gained? Okay, so we're standing here, we're protecting, we're keeping Satan from retaking what was gained. Well, what exactly was gained in your life? When Christ came into us, what are we protecting against? Well, things like the fact that we have been made holy and blameless in His sight. Okay? God, God has washed us and cleansed us. He has made us righteous. He's made us holy and blameless. He's called us to a life of holiness in Him. One of the things that we're to stand against is the temptations that would lead us into impurity and immorality, into sin, right? We're to stand against those temptations. We're to stand against the tricks and wiles of Satan that would lead us into sin and immorality and impurity, right? So, there we're standing. You know, we get kind of tired and lazy. We put the shield down. We start living in our own strength. We think, I don't need God. You know, I can do this on my own. And boom, Satan comes in, doesn't he? Pretty soon before you know it, there's sin in our life. There's immorality, impurity, impure thoughts, bad words, bad thoughts, right? And Satan is in there. Um, uh, he has gained, God has gained for us, one of the, some of the high ground that he's gained for us is oneness with God and with, with each other, right? So we just have to maintain that. We just got to keep Satan out and there should be within us, between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between co-workers, between people in the body of Christ, there should be what? Unity, oneness, togetherness. Right? But what happens? We get lazy, we, we take a nap, we put down the shield, we put down the, the Bible, we stop reading, we stop praying, we stop seeking God. What happens? We start fighting with each other. There's conflict and strife, see? Well, where does conflict and strife come from? Well, it comes because we are not holding our position. And we're letting Satan come in and create division among us. Okay, if, you, if you're in, in, in a place of conflict and strife in your life, that means you're not standing your ground. Okay, you've got to pick up your shield. right? Because uh, Satan wants to bring deeper division and deeper conflict. Uh, if you go through, we, we don't have time to do this, but I encourage you to go through the whole book of Ephesians. And throughout the book, in the first three chapters, Paul lays out all the things that God has given us by His grace. All the things that the riches of His grace have accomplished in us. Okay, the bottom line is Satan wants to destroy all of that. He wants to rob us of grace. The second part of the book from chapters 4 through 6, uh, Paul talks about how we are to walk worthy of that calling. We've been called into grace. 
We should walk worthy of it. And we do that by living in obedience to all of God's righteous commands and standards. Okay? So we, we, we stand firm in the things that He's called us to do. We walk in obedience. And He talks about things like um, you know, fleeing from immorality and greed and impurity and lust and bitterness and rage and evil and sin. Okay, we're not supposed to walk in those things anymore, but we're supposed to stand firm in patience and kindness, gentleness, love. We're supposed to be making music in our hearts, giving thanks to God and living in obedience and submission. Right? So, uh, the bottom line is, we stand firm in these two huge areas. The one area is to stand firm in the work of God's grace. Okay, we are living out, we are to be living in God's love and grace. We are to be living daily in the reality of God's love for us. That's, that's Ephesians 3, that you'd be rooted and established in His love. Ephesians 2, that you would be saved by His grace. So we're supposed to be living daily, holding the ground of grace in our life. And secondly, we're to be walking daily in obedience pleasing God and doing His will. That's what he says. That's the whole book of Ephesians in a nutshell. And that's the ground we're to, we're to hold. And he says we're to stand firm against the, the schemes or the tactics of the devil. Right? So, so this is our, our, our mission objective is to stand firm. And that means protecting God's grace and obedience in our life. Satan's plan is to, is to destroy that, is to invade us so that we no longer live and walk in grace, and we no longer walk in obedience, but walk in disobedience. Uh, so how does he do that? What does this mean, the tactics of the enemy? Well, first of all, let me say that this is not about, and Paul is not here talking about, like weird, demonic, devil-chasing stuff, okay? And in, in modern days, in our times, people have got this strange fascination with Satan and the satanic and the demonic. And there's all kinds of books about, and people have come up with very elaborate pictures of, you know, the, the levels of saints, the levels of demons and their armies, and you know, uh, territorial spirits and family spirits and this spirit and that spirit, and and um, Paul is not talking about that, okay? And uh, as, I don't know if it's true or not true. Uh, the Bible actually says very little about. It. In fact, Paul here gives very little actual description of what this evil is. And we'll talk a little bit what he does say. Uh, he, he's not telling us, to, he, he's not calling us to be Ghostbusters. And I think some people watch Ghostbusters too many times and they thought their job was to be like demon busters and they're chasing you know, every, every behind curtains and under lampshades and under people's beds. You, know, you got a demon, you got you to shoot that demon. And one of the problems is that it's extremely dangerous in, in the spiritual battle. Because we think, you know, if there's a demon living under our bed, that's the cause of our problems. And if we can shoot the demon under our bed and capture it and get, get it out of our house, everything is peachy keen. That is absolutely not true. Uh, it, it says that Satan's tactics are trickery. The, words you were, the word used there is actually the Greek word methods. And it, the word we get methods from, methodia. And it means the tricks or schemes of somebody. The trickery, the deception, the lies. Okay. He's not trying to freak you out by living under your bed. Or, you know, back I remember when I was in high school, the big thing was, you know, that all rock and roll records came with the demon. You know, it's, it's like standard equipment. You buy like, you know, Led Zeppelin, it comes with a demon, okay? And if you burn the record, you know, the demon goes away. Well, 
uh, you know, it sounds, it sounds good, I suppose. The reality is that Satan's methods are much more tricky and subtle than that. He's not that stupid. You know, he's just not that stupid or that simple. He is a crafty, schemy enemy. And the reality is that his, his trick is to rob you of grace by craftiness and cunning. Right? He, his main weapons are thoughts, ideas, and words. Now, now, you know, some days like today when I'm sick and my eye's falling out and I, it hurts and, the, you know, everything seems to be going wrong as we're getting ready for worship. Sometimes it's easy to think that, that the satanic attack is all the things that go wrong in our life. And I'm not sure. I don't know how much of that is Satan, how much of it is just bad luck, how much of it is our own bad planning or not taking care of ourselves. I don't know. Uh, certainly I believe that Satan can bring things against us in terms of circumstances. But what's far more dangerous is the work that Satan does in our thinking to rob us of grace and obedience. That's far more dangerous. Far more dangerous. Because it's so subtle. Right? Uh, Satan is sneaky. He's a trickster. In fact, the word that's used here for devil is the word the diabolical one. The diabolos. The diabolical one. Okay, he is a sneaky guy. And, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis in the Scroop Tape Letters really did a brilliant job capturing the devious nature of Satan and tricking people into sin. Okay, that's the battle. And that's what we need to guard against. Uh, Satan wants to rob you of grace uh, and turn you from grace by coming into your life and lying to you about the goodness of God. You know, for, for, for my life over and over again, this has been one of my huge battles. As Satan says to me all the time, God doesn't really love you. You know, no, your, own, your, you know your own parents didn't really love you that much. I mean, look at you. You're, you're, you're a wreck. You know, you're, you're no good. You sin. You mess up. Why would God really love you? And constantly, God whispers those things in my ear. And for a lot of years, I believe them. And instead of being firmly rooted and established in love... I was wanting to believe in love, but I was really rooted and established in doubt that God could really be good. Right? That's Satan's, that is Satan's war. And then what happens is, you know, we don't believe in grace, uh, and so we think that our Christian life is all about us getting it done. Oh, how many sermons I have heard, how many times preachers have been, how many times I have been the mouthpiece of Satan preaching a message about self-work and self-righteousness. Right? Saying, look, you know, you just got to be more diligent in reading the Bible and, you know, being more disciplined and getting up at four in the morning and praying, and then, you know, you'll conquer the Christian life because you can do this in your own strength. Okay, that is a lie of Satan. And it's not walking in grace. He says, by grace you've been saved. It is not by your own work. And yet how many Christian books and Christian sermons and Christian messages are all about us doing it in our, in our own strength. Okay, if I can just try harder, if I can just work harder, if I can just be more determined, I can just be a better you know, missionary or preacher or teacher or servant, I can prove to God that I'm good enough to deserve His love. Right? And that is a trick and a lie of Satan. You know, the reality is that Satan's greatest weapons against people in this room is not going to be... I mean, he's going he's to try to tempt us to immorality. He's going to try to tempt us to greed and materialism and those things. But chances are, most of us are bright enough. We know that's just stupid, right? Most of us, I hope, have figured out that prostitutes is really a bad idea. And, uh, you know, we don't go there. But how many of us realize that 
some of the good things that we're doing are actually the problem. See, for us, what's far more dangerous are the good things that we're trying to do that God didn't call us to. You know, Paul said, you need to figure out what will please God and walk in obedience to Him. And the reality is most Christians have figured out what makes us look good, doing good things. Uh, and in our own strength, we do good things and we pray that God would bless our wonderful works. Right? Okay, that's, the, that's the deception and lie of Satan. And in doing our good deeds, we're actually undermining God's grace. Right? We're not living in grace. Um, that's just one example of the many ways that Satan can, t- can twist and distort truth. Uh, in your life, it may look very different. I mean, this has been my battle, is believing God's love and trying to work my way to gain His approval. Now, for you, it may look very different. I mean, I know people who take God's love far to the other extreme and believe that God is only love, and that because He's love, He has no standards of righteousness. He doesn't really care what we do. You know, we can go sleep with prostitutes, we can live in sin, we can get divorced and remarried a dozen times, and we can live in immorality, and it's all okay because God is all about love and grace. Right? And, and again, that's just a lie and a distortion of truth. Okay? And the reality is in living in God's love, people in the end find themselves very far removed from God's love because they're walking in disobedience. And as we talked over and over these last few weeks, obedience... And God's, uh, walking on God's love go hand in hand. If you don't walk in obedience, you can't experience His love. See, that's the battle. And Satan is so subtle. He's so subtle. He, he, wants us, he wants us to take just one small step in the wrong direction. In chapter 4 he says, uh, don't, uh, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. You know, how many people are righteously angry? You know, we're angry because we're fighting this great doctrinal war of truth. You know, and our coworker or some other church or whatever is obviously in heresy. And so we're fighting this great crusade for righteousness and truth. And we are angry and we are righteous and self-righteous in our war. And we go to war against a brother in Christ over some minute, trivial doctrine. Right? And uh, what happens? Anger becomes a foothold for Satan. And soon we become bitter, angry people. All right? Far, far removed from the heart of God in our life. Okay, that's how Satan comes in. Uh, the, the, the reality is this that, you know, we, it's not really maybe that we're not strong enough, it's that we're not smart enough to face Satan. Okay, he is clever and cunning. And we need God's strengthening to help us see his lies and his deceptions. Uh, and Mike will share a lot more about that next, next, next week. Well, let me close with these, these last couple of thoughts. He, he says, and he summarizes this in, introductory passage in verse 13 by saying, Therefore, well, let me, verse 12, he says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, uh, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of armor God has given you so that you can resist, so that you can stand against the enemy. Uh, then, after prepare, preparing yourself, 
stand. Uh, he names in verse 12, he names these hordes of armies. He's already talked about rulers and authorities. Uh, not, only the, not only is evil a force against us, but it's a force that has, it has authority. And it has authority over this world. I don't understand that. Okay? I don't understand why God has allowed evil to have influence and authority over this world, but it does. Uh, but he says that our, our final enemy is not flesh and blood. So even though we think we're oftentimes fighting against government rulers and leaders and the people at immigration and, you know, whatever, okay, uh, they're not the enemy, okay? They are simply those uh, under and being, you know, under the hand of Satan. They are innocent victims. And it's important to remember that, okay? That person that's driving you crazy who is, who is maybe attacking you, that person who is vehemently against you, Remember, they are a victim who's been run over by the enemy and whose life is, is firmly in the grip of evil. Right? We have to have God's compassion for those people and pray for God's deliverance, redemption in their life. We are fighting ultimately against these rulers and authorities. Uh, he says also they are, they are the princes of darkness, the lords of the dark side of the world. And finally, he says they are they are the spiritual, uh, the spirits of evil, okay, the spirits of evil. All of these words are in the plural, and when they get stacked together like this, it paints the picture of a vast, enormous army. Okay, it's not like we're against Satan and his you know group of five friends. Okay, it paints a picture of a large, powerful force uh, that is coming against us. Okay, it ought to strike. Uh, some, it ought to strike some fear in us, okay? That is not Paul's purpose, but it ought to wake us up. Okay, these guys have rule over this earth. It, he says they have rule in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual realm. Okay, our spiritual life is to be lived out in the spiritual realm, and the spiritual realm is filled with the far, forces of darkness and evil. great picture of this is in Daniel, when Daniel prays uh, for help. And you remember the story... Uh, Jesus himself, or a, a theophany at least, comes and gives him his answer, but it takes three weeks. And he says, Daniel, I'm sorry. As soon as you started praying, I, I came on my way, but I was opposed by the prince of Persia, the, the prince of the darkness, for three solid weeks. And finally, Michael, the archangel, had to come and fight him off for me so I could deliver the answer. Okay, that's the spiritual warfare that we're in. Okay, but Paul says you don't need to be freaked out by it. He says simply you need to be prepared. He says, therefore, put on the armor. Okay, put on the armor. And he says, when you've done everything to prepare yourself, stand firm. He says, just be prepared. The good news is that when we put on this protection, we're absolutely untouchable. Okay, that doesn't mean the saint's not going to throw everything at you. He has. But when you stand firm in the armor of God, you cannot fall. You are invincible. Okay, amen? You can't fall. You can't fail. If you are walking in God's strength, Satan cannot get to you. He cannot defeat you. He cannot overthrow you. He can bring his whole army against you, and some days you may feel like he has. Right? In fact, he says, be prepared for the day of evil. Uh, thankfully, not all days are created equal. You know, for, some, for us, some days are more evil than others. Thankfully, they're not all equally evil. Uh, there may be days in your life, critical moments in time, critical moments of decision and testing when Satan may throw at you every possible thing he can. 
you know, be ready for those days because we don't get to pick. You know, he gets to pick. Uh, are you ready for that? Uh, daily, we, we encounter some evil, some problems. And, and Paul's war- warning is, look, to live out everything that I've been talking about, you just got to be prepared. You got to be walking with Christ daily. You got to be opening up your heart and letting his love and goodness and grace fill your life. So you are empowered by his love and goodness. And then Satan can't touch you. He cannot touch you. His greatest, most powerful weapons have no effect. No effect. And that's what, that's what God wants for us. Let's, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the victory that Christ has won through the cross, through his blood, through your grace. And Lord, that you have not sent us out as lambs among wolves without protection. And certainly we are lambs among wolves, but we're lambs who uh, walk with a shepherd uh, who carries a very big stick and uh, will protect us each step of the way. And so, Father, we do just pray that you would teach us uh, and remind us daily to put on the armor and walk under the protection and power of your strength. Lord, most of all, forgive us for being so proud and foolish to think that we, we can figure this out on our own. Lord, help us to, 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 in weakness and humility, just fall into your hands and uh, allow you to strengthen us by the work that you've already done through Christ and through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, we know that you've called us to success. Uh, Lord, that you want to work out every good plan in our life.